Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 181. Welcome. Welcome to our live Facebook audience, whether you are watching on Voice Ed Radio Canada, uh, the Education Podcast Network, live on Facebook. So happy to be with you. You might be listening on iTunes uh, on the recorded version, on the audio version. Uh, we would love a positive recommendation from you. We would love a, a review from you uh, and certainly would love for you to interact with the show. So it is great to see you. It is a beautiful day up here in the Northeast and uh, I am excited to get rolling. I do want to give a shout out to today's sponsor. They're featured this way yeah, uh, up on this side of the screen. Uh, Havsies Cookies. Check out their website, HavsiesCookieCompany.com. Uh, and there is a code Murata15. Our guest today is Owen Saylor. We're going to meet him in a moment from Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and we'll be sending some cookies down there. Havsies Cookies, my buddy's cookie company, David Mafai. Beautiful story. Yeah, I'm going to learn the story of bourbon here, talking to uh, someone from Kentucky. But the cookies, uh, his mother-in-law, when she served them, would cut them in half. And they got this nice, thick uh, look to them. And, and he would always say, hey, mom, why are you cutting them in half? Well, they're too big, right? And the guests started to enjoy them because you could just have half, but they also started to enjoy the, you know, just the, what they look like. So they're called Hazzy's Cookie Company. Check them out. And I appreciate them sponsoring uh, today's broadcast. Uh, that discount code is Marada15. Owens, those cookies will be coming to you. And that's right. We're going to meet Owen Saylor here in a moment. Uh, he is our guest today. He is the Director of Leadership Development at the Kentucky Association of School Administrators. So today's opening segment, uh, and it's going to be leading into that, is about connection, right? As a leader, as an educator, you never know where your influence is going to land. A parent, a student, a teacher, you just don't know, right? And I send my books to a lot of people. I reach out to a lot of people. Um and it's amazing when I hear back that that book oh, uh, 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 resonated with Owens, right? Talking about leadership, talking about life, talking about leadership development. And as a leader, right, we, you can't, you never know where it's going to go, right? It touches a lot of bases. It touches a lot of places. And each and every day you have an opportunity through your interactions, through your, your behaviors, through the work you're doing, through the notes you're writing to connect with others whether it's the person next to you or a person in another state in another country, especially electronically now, we're able to reach out uh, to more people. So it was an honor to connect with Owens. Uh, it's an honor to have him on the program. And let's bring him in here. To Owens, welcome to Education Leadership Beyond. Hello. How are you? It's good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. I know we've talked a bunch, but it's great to be kind of in person, so to speak. It is, and um, it's it's always fun to talk about leadership and to talk about other things that I that I enjoy and live around here in Kentucky. And I just really am honored to be on with you today. Well, we are pumped up. This is Owen Saylor, the Director of Leadership Development, the Kentucky Association of School Administrators. And Owen, you heard my opening segment. Um, you know, what do you what do you think about that? Right, here's a New Yorker we never met. And yet, I feel like we've bonded and connected through leadership. You know, what was it about the book? What was it about you and I connecting uh, that got your attention? Great ideas have no accent. 
And so there's no, there's nothing that stands between a good idea and real action. And just my um, our study of your book, The Principle of Surviving and Thriving, and the scenarios that played out and just the real talk about what administrators, particularly principals, go through. Principals have probably the most difficult job of any in education. School is in the title, so you have so much that you have to handle, and the primarily is the learning for students. And so you have to manage that and make sure that that's working, and then handle all of the issues that come with children and students to school. Everything that happens in a community makes its way through the school, everything. And so, I mean, the filter that the principal has to provide uh, and the work that the principals and his staff do, it's just amazing. And I have such great respect for that. And I thought that book was so great to capture it. Particularly, there were short reads. So you could read one of the scenarios and then come back to the book later on. and But it hit right at the heart. Here's what I've done. Here's how uh, I would suggest you may do it. Or here's some things that I would do differently. And I love that. It's very open and you just, you're, you hit it right on the on the mark with that. So that's what we're excited about, and we're glad you're coming to be with us. And we're going to help uh, hope your message spreads to principals here in Kentucky. We're really excited about that. Awesome. And again, it's an honor uh, for me. But Owens, let's let's talk a little bit about you. You've had that energy and, and experience as a principal. You have 37 years experience from the classroom music, uh, and now you're in, a, in another chapter. You're leading the Kentucky Association of School Administrators for a number of years now. Tell me about this latest work you're doing with CASA and what that means to you. The work that, that I'm doing now is really the joy that I found in work in education, which was the learning piece. So my responsibility is to develop, learn, find, reach out, make connection with folks who can bring professional learning to our administrators, to our members. And uh, so I've had the opportunity to connect with some of the nation's greatest and most respected leaders to both bring to our summer conference, which is uh, a major uh, initiative here, 1,500 uh, in attendance, wow. uh, to individual sessions that we do. We have an online series now that uh, helps support uh, just about anything that school administrators are going through, particularly around leadership. I loved what you said early on about connections and the work around leadership. One thing I've learned is that leaders have to have followers and that one of the things we're trying to promote in our leadership development is that leadership is like a tango and it's dependent on someone to lead and someone to follow mm. and how leaders can manage that and work with their partner, uh, for example, to try to make things work and the resistance that can be found are one of the key things that we're trying to attend to. How do leaders, uh, inspire followers, not direct them or make them follow how they inspire people. So that's one of our key themes, inspirational leadership. We've followed the work of the Leadership Challenge, Cousins and Posner, um, which is, uh, that is our leadership model that we're promoting. We do trainings around that. Uh, currently, one of the things I'm really excited about, we have our principal summit that's coming up in November, uh, end of November. And, and thankfully you are going to be our guest uh, to provide keynote there for us, keynote leadership. Uh, and uh, we have a series where we hope that folks are going to join in and can continue to connect with you. It's a real powerful part of this medium. I can see you, you can see me, we can talk, but I don't have to travel. I can be there and we can share things. Uh, that's, that's really important. We want folks to connect with you. We think you're a great vessel for that. 
The other thing that we're doing is the first Kentucky Executive Leadership Academy for aspiring superintendents, those who are looking to take the next step of leadership. We have 26 leaders from around the state that are attending a 17-month leadership-ready program. Wow. We had one of those sessions today. It was just amazing. Michael Hagan from Scholastic, Senior Vice President, was with us today. Those folks are going to do a literacy problem of practice in their district where they take instructional leadership to the next level uh, and hopefully putting in place some practices that will improve literacy for not only their district, but students across the state. So that's we hope that we can inspire our members, support our members, and help them become the best leaders that they possibly can be. I love it. That's great stuff, uh, Owens. If you're watching the show live uh, or on recording, certainly jump in. Leave us a comment. Leave us a question here. We're going to get it on the show. Owens, you're, you're around leaders. You're around principals. What are some of the things that you're seeing, right? You, you said it takes two to tango, right? You're a follower. But what are some of the most successful uh, things you're seeing in school leaders today, um, that, you know, in your experience? Right now, I think our principals are more in touch with the social-emotional learning aspect than ever before. And I think what they're trying to do, they've shifted, I think, a lot away to hell with test scores right now. For most people, it's about taking care of our people. Mm. And we've got to do that. Test scores will be around. Uh, but for now, we've got to take care of our people. We've got to take care of our children, number one. Take care of the adults that are caring for children. And then we also have to communicate and protect the school from the community at times who can be pretty massively disruptive. So I think we're learning how to care for people in the best way possible. During the pandemic, uh, I can't think of another entity that was more on the front lines than education. From the controversies about masks to the cancellations to online learning to all those things that were just plain disruptions. But you know what? We always survive. We always come back. So I'm seeing that spirit of comeback in people. Now they're tired, very tired. And I know you can understand that because the things that you're dealing with are emotional issues. But I will say this, and here's a word of advice for principals and for school leaders. You want to get the joy back in your work? Get yourself in the classroom where it's taking place. That's where the joy in the job comes. You'll feel it. You'll feel the energy when you walk in a room and the hair stands up on your uh, or the hair stands up on your arm because you're so excited and you want to get involved in the work. That's what keeps you on the job because that's what the joy in the work is. And when you see kids succeeding, awesome. um, that's 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 what it's all about right there. And I think we're getting better at taking that route. Awesome. A good friend of mine, a leader from New York City is watching. Uh, Owens uh, Dennis wrote here, yeah, no, without knowing how to care for students, test scores are irrelevant. So great point. Owens, those are some successful things you're seeing. But what are some things that hold us back? You see successful leaders, but you also see people that are struggling. What are some things that hold them back from leading successfully? I think uh, focusing on those things that are less important. I think majoring in the minor. Mm. Um, I think um, doing things that I, uh, I, I, this has always been an issue for me, but making decisions to appease adults rather than meeting the needs of students, uh, which every school administrator at some point in their career probably has done. I forgive you for it, but it's not something that you can do and see things move forward. Uh, and so I think, I think that's an issue. I think it's building capacity around things. Um, 
I encourage, and one of the things I'm really interested in is encouraging principals to be the best professional coach they can be for those that they're serving. Principals are the most important professional person in the life of a teacher. They can make them, they can break them. And remember, principals, that you're in it to win. When your school does well, you do well. And just to serve as an evaluator to tell people what they're doing wrong doesn't get you anywhere. you got to coach your people up. You can't afford to lose people now. There's, there, are, there are shortages, job shortages out there, position shortages. you got to coach people up. And if you're competent and you're a great principal, then you're doing that. You're focusing your attention on building up the folks that you have. Coach them up. And uh, that, I think that's where we need to do more work is coaching up folks that we have to keep them encouraged and staying in the profession. You said a lot of great things there, Owen, you know, the win-win situation. I love that majoring in the minors. I call it making the important thing the important thing, right? Yes, sir. Uh, focusing on that right work and supporting your people. Very well said. Uh, Owen, you were a successful principal and you went on to be award-winning superintendent. For those that you're in this superintendent leadership uh, group you're running, what are some of the differences that that superintendent is taken on versus a principal? Well, they have to learn how to look at things from the 30,000 foot view. Uh, the principals are closer to the ground. They're still looking at the overall picture, but they're a little closer and can focus in on a certain parameter. The superintendent needs to look at it from all angles. Mm. Um, I think now more than ever, the superintendent needs to be well-versed in instruction. Uh, they need to know uh, what strategies, what directions to take. Um, I think for too long, the superintendent was an administrative managerial position. Can't afford that anymore. The superintendent needs to be the lead learner and also the smart uh, delegator and coalition builder. Mm. The superintendent has to now, it used to, I think I'm pretty safe in saying the old model was superintendent with a gavel or a hammer telling everybody what they're going to do and that's it. That our society has changed. You don't do that anymore. In fact, the superintendents get about the same amount of respect as politicians now. You know, people aren't afraid of the superintendent or the principal any longer. In fact, they feel like they kind of own us, um, and they treat us that way sometimes. So you've got to be, you got to learn how to be politically sensitive. But you don't have to be politically correct. But you got to be politically sensitive. You got to be smart about how you deal with folks and relationships. You got to understand people. You got to work with people. But you also have to make some tough decisions, and that takes courage. I think uh, one of the greatest things that I, I feel that administrators should own deeply is the professional courage to make decisions. Um, and you know when you make one that's not such so good, that's the night you don't sleep. But if you make a tough decision based on the right reasons, you can put your head on the pillow at night and uh, know that you've done it. But you have to have the courage to do it. That's something that's really a real challenge. Yeah, yeah, and you're, you're spot on again in terms of those things. You've made a bunch of correct decisions, which led to you being named Superintendent of the Year. <laughs> a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Let me, let's get some of those comments up there. <laughs> but it led to you being Superintendent of the Year in 2016. Yeah, what did that mean for you personally as well as for, you know, your family? Well, I mean, if, first it's an acknowledgement of the people who did all the work. I mean – you know, superintendents, and I know you you have a superintendent, you know, um, the superintendent gets a chance to work with people. It's a it's a great job because you kind of get to pick your menu. 
uh, principals don't have that much uh, leeway. Uh, so the for me, it was a, I just found such joy in that work. I loved doing it. I did a program called Conditions in the Soil, where I visited over 2,000 classrooms in three years oh, wow. uh, to look at the conditions. Because my goal was, my theory was that, <clears throat> and I was in a kind of an, an agricultural area, and it this sort of rang true to people. And rather than, as Sir Ken Robinson, one of my heroes, said, rather than measuring the weight of the produce at the end of the harvest, which is testing, great farmers care for the conditions in the soil, and the produce will weigh it, will take care of itself. And so I started thinking, what are the conditions in a classroom? As children pass through the classrooms, so is the soil rich? Is the nutrient rich for learning? Is the, are teachers engaging? Are they using the classroom as a learning laboratory? Does the class belong to the teacher or does the class belong to the students? What type of activities? What's the rigor level? Are kids asking questions? Is it alive? Is the teacher actively involved? And so that became my study. It was called Conditions in the Soil. And uh, that's where I found the joy in that work. And I could do that as a superintendent. But I wasn't telling teachers how to teach. I was looking at the condition because my goal was every student in my district was going to be served in a classroom that was rich in conditions. Mm. And so that's, that's, that's how that work took place. And it was just, it was amazing work. And that, that was something that I could do as a superintendent. You know, I, I also I learned a lot of lessons. I saw my name on a lawsuit for the first time as a superintendent and uh, you know, for something I didn't do, <laughs> but for whatever reason, I, I got blamed for it. <laughs> And uh, so you see, you get used to that and dealing with the legal system and attorneys. And, you know, that's that's a very different rule. They don't teach you that in superintendent school. Uh, You know what it's like when the guy hands you the service document. Um, That's that was very interesting. Uh, But, you know, I also got to do great things like going around to schools and visiting with custodians and bus drivers and food service people. You literally could not. Andrew, you couldn't be at work today and do the work you do without those people who keep that facility in that school district running. And they deserve our respect. They deserve whatever we can get them in terms of support. And uh, I just love the heart. For, and you know, in your building, you've got people that you love and care for, that love and care for kids. Otherwise, why would they keep doing that job? You know, and so I just I have a special place in my heart for people who uh, give that who've been willing to commit that. And I love doing that. I would go into lunch lines and help the lady serve. I would ride the bus. I would, you know, and it wasn't just for show. I would go and, and get out of the way, uh, but try to do things and help and just let them know. One of the things we, I instituted, I thought was, it's kind of thought about your book uh, when I, uh, looking back on it, uh, we put up a certificate in the hallway of the school and said, this uh, head custodian put a certificate is, it responsible for this beautiful school. And uh, it was to recognize his efforts for that. And it was a certificate put up there and had their name on it. And buddy, they protect that like it was gold. And it was a way for them to know that we respect and appreciate. And we change it once a year, you know, and it would be just kind of their up, update of our, of our support for them. So those are all kinds of that. That was kind of a, an idea that uh, 
something I was able to do as a superintendent I wasn't able to do as a principal. Yeah, wow. I love the, the comparison with the farmer and the soil. A lot of times you hear about you know coaching, right? That we're coaching our, our teachers and players. And that was fantastic and, and good for you. And I love the I love the part about the custodian and, and, and investing in that. Uh, great stuff. Owens, before all of that, you were a music person. You were a band director and, and a music teacher. And uh, you know, tell me about the music and arts. That fit into all that's going on in education right now. Uh, where do you see that fitting in? My experience was um, I was um, I had visions of being an orchestral trombonist. Believe it or not, that's when you're a, you know you first start college and you're like yeah, until you find out there ain't many of those in the world. <laughs> and uh, so I did my bachelor's undergraduate work at University of Kentucky and did my master's in music performance. Uh, again, hoping I'd be an orchestral trombonist, but uh, ultimately ended up teaching. Uh, and but I didn't end up teaching. I found teaching, and I loved it. And but I went to Florida, um, and taught in Florida for several years, um, and then came back to Kentucky uh, so my wife could finish college. And uh, I just loved the music uh, work. I loved teaching, being band. There was something that was that was our sport, you know. Uh, I, when I was in school, I was able to be in the band and play football and basketball. They, you could do it then, you know. Now you just it's just too complicated to pull that off now. But I, I loved it. And uh, so I came back to Kentucky. I had a very good friend who was uh, opening as principal of a new school uh, and asked if I wanted to be assistant, uh, assistant principal. And that's where it started for me. But I can tie it into this. Um, when I was a band director, I had to listen for the details. I had to listen for the third clarinet section, the third chair, third clarinet. And I had to listen for that student's performance. So I had to pay attention to them as an individual. And if you get 95% of the notes right in a concert, it's been a bad concert. So discipline to do it right in detail work became something that I was really in engaged with. And loved it. And so that sort of fit naturally into the, you know, management operations piece. And the more that I got involved in administration, the more I found the love of the science and art of learning. So Ken Robinson, going back to him, he's one who professed that we're breeding the, the creativity out of teaching right now because of all of the mandates. And he said we'd be much better off by letting teachers take their expertise put it to work into creative lessons, still holding them accountable to standards and criteria, but letting them decide how it will be delivered, holding them to it. And if they're not performing, we, we coach, but we keep the creativity there. He espoused the idea that all students should be taking some for either an art uh, or a creative writing, uh, something that everybody ought to have a performing art as a requirement because it teaches you discipline. And the other thing it teaches you're not afraid to stand up in front of somebody and let them judge what you do. And that's a tough thing. I mean, so kids in the arts build confidence, you know, and they're striving to do something exactly right. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like sports. It's pulling off that play, you know, and they get a great pride. There's an aesthetic in that drive to get it right. And uh, so uh, that's the, the arts were tremendous for that. Think about your theater kids. They have to stand up there, memorize lines. They got to present it. And people are going to talk about them one way or the other. And that takes real risk. And if you can get middle schools, one of my goals when I was a middle school band director was get the seventh grade band to say the word beautiful. 
<laughs> they were going to, you know, they were going to throw up if they said it. But you know, that's 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 an opportunity for kids to express themselves and to learn how to do it. And the better they get at it, the less they're ashamed. The better they get at, it, the less they have to feel embarrassed. You got a championship level band. Nobody makes fun of the band kids because they all stomp you out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's what a great comparison. I, you know, I I view my refereeing experience as valuable to me because I'm used to people booing. I'm used to that yeah. feedback, right? And what a great thing about the arts, putting yourself out there and building that uh, resistance isn't the word, but just uh, yeah, resilience that you're going to get feedback. Yeah, it's a resilience, and it's okay. I'm okay with your feedback, and if I do this well enough, you're not going to have anything to feedback <laughs> except that was great. And kids are competitive; they love, they love the competition of getting something and doing it well. They love that. Yeah, and so, uh, so yeah, you know, and you know that from your athletics, and it's uh, it and it's great. Yeah. You're really saying some great things here, Owens. And, you know, you could just tell by the way you're talking and you live this uh, as an educator. And, uh, this is great. If you're watching live, certainly jump in again. But you mentioned resilience, uh, uh, Owens, and, you know, living with four women in the house, you have three three daughters and, and your wife there, and now you got five grandchildren. What advice would you say to all the, the father and, and male leaders out there like? Surviving and thriving uh, in the household with all those ladies around. Yes, ma'am, is the right response. Um, <laughs> say yes, ma'am. Be patient. Listen. Uh, girls uh, respond to things much differently than the young men. Get hip on your fashion. I know a lot about shoes. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I know what the boundaries are. Uh, and as soon as you think you know everything about women, uh, you are lost. But here's what I say. Men, let's let them keep thinking they're in charge. We just act this way and it'll all be fine. <laughs> give a shout out to your grandchildren. Give me give me those names here. Oh, yeah. We've Hopefully got uh, watch Grandpa on the show. Here. Oh, Camden, my man, Camden. He is uh, in the fifth grade and he's uh, he can tell you everything you ever wanted to know about NASCAR. I mean, he's serious about NASCAR. <laughs> he can tell you team owners. He can tell you cars. He can tell you the races. He's got it all. His sister is Sailor. We're so proud of her. Yeah. And uh, she's just an amazing dancer and, and a sweet, sweet kid. Uh, she's in uh, first grade this year. Uh, we have Alexis who lives in Nashville, and she is a model. She's a child model in Nashville and doing wow. extremely well. And uh, her brother is Keen. Um, his mother and daddy were married at Keeneland, which is the racetrack here in Lexington. So they named him Keen Landon. Uh, uh, in, uh, in regards to that. <laughs> and then my last uh, granddaughter is Belle. Wow. Uh, she's our newest and uh, she's a sweetie for sure. So love my grandchildren. There's something else. And they're, as all grandparents know, they're a joy. I love it. Uh, so great to share family. And uh, again, I'm growing up with three myself going through it now, but yeah. uh, daughters certainly are special. So absolutely. Kudos to you. And Grandpa, and I know you're mentoring them as well. You had some mentors that had a, a strong influence on your life, right? You mentioned Sir Ken Robinson, um, and you mentioned that quote. I love the quote there. But tell me some other mentors that you had and, and maybe a quote or an influence they had on you. Yeah, I've had some amazing mentors and leaders. And for most of all, I think the people I respect are the role models who walk the walk and talk the talk and 
and uh, they hold people accountable, but yet on the other hand, they're willing to help and coach. You know, we've all needed somebody that, you know, sometimes we need a fire lit um, under us. And, and I appreciate that, particularly when they did it with love and kindness. Um, and so my college band director, uh, Dr. William Harry Clark, was an amazing man um, who saw enough into me. Uh, ultimately, I was the student director of the Kentucky Wildcat Marching Band and was also a graduate assistant for the Kentucky Wildcat Marching Band, and which was a great launching pad for me in terms of organization and management and dealing with things. Uh, and then um, uh, some educational leaders, my friend Tom Welch, just an amazing visionary leader. Um, uh, Dr. Lou Young, uh, who was my colleague and friend, who is just, uh, just she is the epitome of the role model leader. Um, and so those folks have been really influential on me, and they taught me uh, that the, the whole notion that um, you got to close the loop. One of the toughest things we uh, deal with in administration, we got so busy, we leave a lot of loose ends out there, and it's the loose ends that come back to haunt us. Mm. It's the, you know, I didn't make that call when I said I was going to make that call, or I didn't answer that email when I said I would answer that email. And uh, the world has changed. The expectations on responses now are amazing. You know, a week it, when we just had the phone with the line on it, you know, a week wasn't bad. Now it better be in 10 minutes. Send a text and you're upset when they don't text you back immediately. And that's changed now. And so you got to be and you got to be careful about promises you make. Be honest about what you can do. But what you say you're going to do, do it. And uh, you'll develop a reputation for being trustworthy in that way. You can lose it so quick. Trustworthiness can be lost so quick. And, for example, folks will love you as a principal or a superintendent for the nine things that you did for them. But if you said no on number 10, that's all they'll remember. <laughs> so you got to know that going into it, you know, and sometimes you're going to tell some friends some pretty tough stuff. Uh, you know, even those you care for very deeply, sometimes you got to make tough calls. Yeah, I love that. Close the loop. Uh, it's so close the loop, right? And when you got ADD and you're going 100 miles an hour, I got my notepads all over the place, and I use Siri a lot now. I'm always with the reminders, you know. Yep. Always. Yeah. And don't tell a mad parent you're going to call them back and forget. Oh, listen, deal with that first. <laughs> Oh, you know, <laughs> this is a home run. You are dropping knowledge left and right. This is great. I'm, I love to go back and listen to my podcast because I can absorb it so much more. But uh, this has been great. But let's get to some Kentucky culture. I, I'm a New Yorker. I haven't been there. I'm looking forward to coming down. I don't know who has the accent, me or you, but we'll, we'll arm wrestle that out. But give me some culture. And let's start with, with bourbon. Give, give me a, a one-minute history, a one-minute expectation of when I land there. What, what's happening? What, why is bourbon on the, on the front lines there? Oh, bourbon is uh, first we, we consider it a craft. <laughs> and remember that uh, the way bourbon is made, it literally comes from what was before considered moonshine. Starts as a pure grain alcohol, like the moonshiners in the mountains. But what happens is they take that moonshine and it goes into oak barrels that have been burnt on the inside. And then it goes into storage for a pretty extended period of time, minimum of two years before it can be called bourbon. And to be called bourbon, it has to be 51% corn product. Mm. Um, and then the other makeup, other grains like rye or wheat, 
can be any other combination, but to be a bourbon, it has to be 51% uh, corn. And so it then takes on the flavor of the charred barrel. And that's where you get the darkness and the tone. The longer, and you'll notice in your bourbons, the longer the number of years, the richer it is. And it, it takes on a different tonality. When moon, when the uh, what, what comes out of the initial pure grain stage is about 160 proof. So what happens is they cut that in half, essentially, for the starter bourbons at about 81 proof, because it has to be 81 proof or above to be a bourbon. <laughs> so all kinds of rules. You can't serve, you can't sell bourbon in anything, real bourbon, anything other than a glass bottle. Plastic bottles don't work. You'll see whiskey in a plastic bottle, but not bourbon. So uh, there's all kinds of really neat things about, and their bourbon is, uh, it's elegant. Uh, it's to be sipped, not drunk. And uh, it's something that you share with friends. Here's a, it's bad luck to put the lid on the top of a bourbon bottle when you have friends around. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I know I'm going to get an education down there. And I'm looking Can't for a, a connoisseur. So, uh, Can't wait. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a dinosaur, not a connoisseur. <laughs> All right. Now, I know you're a Kentucky diehard. You love University of Kentucky. Okay, Why has basketball been so good and football, historically, been so bad? Well, here's the story. 1950. Kentucky plays Oklahoma in a Sugar Bowl. Beats Oklahoma had been on a 39 winning 39 game win streak until they played Kentucky in the 1950 Sugar Bowl. Bud Wilkinson was the coach of Oklahoma, and Kentucky beat them 14 to seven. And at that time, they won the mythical national championship because it had already been decided before the bowl games then. Sure. But uh, so, and our coach, Bear Bryant, he was our coach. Well, what happened was Adolph Rupp decided who, you know, Adolph Rupp, the famous Kentucky basketball coach, decided, you know, I'm not going to mess around with this very much. So he put pressure on the administration. The story is um, that, you know, his contract was going to change. And so they bought Adolph Rupp a beautiful new Cadillac for his new contract and gave it to him. But they gave Coach Bryant a gold watch. So go, Coach Bryant said, you know what? I'm not hanging around here. And he went to Texas A&M, ultimately on to Alabama. And that's when it changed. We became a basketball school in 1950. So you can go back and look at the history there and see all of the Kentucky, Kentucky success really started right there in basketball. Wow. Bear Bryant was our coach. I did not know that. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I certainly know the hoops team, but I know the football team's having a good year this year. So yeah, that's, that's not. Yeah, absolutely. First and now, so you hear a lot of we're going to do something we haven't done since 1950. Is we did lose to Georgia. Georgia's a great team, uh, but if we go 11 and one, it would match the 1950 Kentucky Wildcat football team. Wow. So times ever done, and we're going to be favored in every game. But I've just jinxed them just now. <laughs> Now we got the Yankees and Mets up here. We got the Yankees and Red Sox, and there yeah. is a yeah, you know, I know. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, right? There's but there's no pro sports teams there, right? You don't have a professional sports. Uh, uh, Bengals are right up the street, so okay. you know we're kind of the Bengals are, or the Titans. You know, Nashville's just south of okay. Western Kentucky. But you got these two Titans. You got Louisville and you got Kentucky. Is there a hatred? Is there respect? Does it depend who you talk to? What's what's the rivalry there? Uh, Louisville, Kentucky is heated. It's a family feud. It's Hatfields and McCoys. 
but we're Kentucky people. Now, get us with Tennessee, and it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Kentucky, Tennessee. Used to be Kentucky, Notre Dame uh, in basketball. That was an ugly. Indiana, Kentucky basketball was ugly. But Tennessee, Kentucky football, definitely. And Louisville, you know, we don't pay attention to them normally, uh, but until they beat us. They had Lamar Jackson, they beat us, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the basketball, they've been playing like around a Christmas game recently, right? It's been a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they'll play. Yeah, they'll play uh, first week of December. Okay. Almost every year. Awesome. Well, I got to make sure I pick out my little my little jokes there, my little culture thing. So this was a good, uh, uh, good experience. Owens, this was fantastic. I learned a ton. Uh, but what was something that you wanted to share that I did not ask you about? Um, I, I guess I would say that I encourage, um, and I don't mean to double entendre, but I, I want leaders to know that they are the most important people. Mm. They are the MVP for those that they serve, families, children, staff, and that they deserve the respect that they should they should get, but they also need to understand that the pyramid probably should be on its tip instead of on the top. It ought to be like that. And you are at the bottom of this, and it's your responsibility to support that pyramid at all times, and uh, do whatever you can to meet the needs of every uh, child that you serve. And for me, I believe all means all. Whatever we got to do to meet the needs of every child every day, we must do. That's our calling. We're called to this. Administrators, Andrew, are called to this work. Otherwise, why would they do it? There's a calling. They want to serve. Every administrator I know has a servant's heart. They love kids. As tough as a job is, uh, they love kids. And that's what it's all about. If you don't love kids, get out of this business. Find something to sell. We don't have time, and the kids don't have time. And yeah, they're going to drive you nuts. Uh, but make sure that you love them and you care for them, because that's when they need you the most. And some of them don't have families or don't have f folks that can be that role model for them. I applaud that, Owens. Uh, I agree with you. I love the the idea of the pyramid being uh, the other way around, yeah, and, top. and we're here. So awesome. Uh, this is great, Owens. Let's get to wrap. These are quick fire questions. Right. Uh, the, the quickest thing that comes to your head are you ready? Okay. Here we go. Last book you read? Um, Leonardo da Vinci, Walter Isaacson. Last movie you saw? 1917. Oh, okay, good. Did you enjoy that? I did. I, it never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite place to travel? Vegas, baby. Load them up. And now is it the horses? Is it uh, the shows? Uh, no. is it uh, the casinos. The casinos casino? and shows. What's your game? Roulette, man. Okay. All right. Uh, in addition to education, leadership, and beyond, is there a podcast that you subscribe to? Something that you listen to? Yeah. The Bourbon Life. You're learning. Fabulous. Oh, it is fantastic. Great. Uh, Owens, uh, you're a lifetime educator, 37 years. What What is something that you do to relieve stress? Glamping. I've got a, a house tra or a, tra a trail trailer, and we love to hook that trailer up and just take off. And uh, we have a great time with that. Really, it's it's amazing. And you, but you're not uh, roughing it in the mud and, and rolling around oh. in the head. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. 
and I've got a nice bed, nice television, but you get, it's just being on the road and being able to travel and great, great chance to get away. During COVID, it was the perfect travel because you were kind of with yourself, you know, and we got all over the country. What, uh, do you watch the Kentucky game sometimes on Uh, Saturday? Oh, well, away games I do. One of the things I want to do is go to away games with, uh, with the RV and, oh, they just have a great time on those. I love it. At 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, I feel fill in the blank. Ready to rock. That's just, it's like everything's loose. And, you know, I've just get through some things with my kids and my family and me. And I love it. Best purchase under a hundred bucks that has had a great impact on your life. Air fryer. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Mrs. Murata's curious about that. Okay. You're signing off on that. Yeah, I okay. am. All right. Bourbon is fill in the blank. Oh, it's a story. It's about the story about bourbon. It's not, it's not about the drink. It's about the story of the drink. And that's what makes it special. I can't wait. Something about Owen Sailor that people do not know about. Well, they don't know it because I ain't telling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not about to say it on this. Okay. All and then right. send the link to somebody. Nope. <laughs> Something that has been a hurdle for you. Um, me and food have always had this thing. <laughs> and you're battling it. I'm battling it. And I'm it wins it. sometimes. It's a constant uh, journey. And uh, yep. I struggled with it during COVID for sure. Not mm-hmm. as uh, So along those lines, I'm about to I'm about to get some exercise here before the day gets away. Uh, what's your favorite book uh, punching bag. I've got a punching bag in the garage and good way to get out a little juice. And, you know, I, I enjoy that, okay. especially in the summer. I love to sweat, sweat it out. Awesome. And I know you're going for your doctorate, but I do you know. have a, do you have a long-term goal here? Three to five years, uh, Owens? Well, first of all, I mean, the cool thing about the doctorate is that I can do it because I want to. And um, I want to show my grandchildren um, that learning never stops you have an opportunity next year. I'm going to be what's called a Donovan scholar. Uh, and then state that means I can enroll in college for free. So I can take my whole program. The rest of my three, uh, four year program will be free. And uh, so it's a great chance for me to do it. Why wouldn't I want to do it? And I'm writing a book Andrew, and my book's going to be titled conditions in the soil, how a superintendent can impact student learning. And uh, that's, that's what I want to work on. And uh, then I want to possibly for the last chapter, I want to teach superintendents. Uh, I'd like to teach in university setting um, and teach future superintendents because I think it's the greatest job being a principal, being a superintendent. It's the greatest job you've ever, ever had an opportunity to have. Mm, that is fantastic. And just listening to you today, you you absolutely have it. When I heard you say that about the conditions in the soil, I said, oh, that's a great title. I was going to speak about that off air. That's fantastic. Uh, Owens, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about CASA, they want to learn more about Superintendent, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Owens, O-W-E-N-S, at K-A-S-A dot org. Do people think there's more uh, than one of you when they see, hear your first name? <laughs> yes, my mother's curse. They're looking around for more people? <laughs> yeah, more than me that can't take. <laughs> one of me is plenty. Oh, this has been great. I really, uh, I've just been thrilled. Uh, uh, sometimes I got to pull it out of my guests. You, you've been great. Uh, you have a quote. You have something you'd like to uh, uh, end this with. Here. Yeah, um, life's so short. You should love you should learn. You should lead. I 
love it. I'm writing that. Say it one more time. Life is short. Life is short. Live, love, lead. Owen Sailor, everyone. Uh, Owens, this was fantastic. Check out uh, their, their website and the work they're doing, casa.org. Uh, if any of my New York friends need some translation, I'll do the words <laughs> to text so you can understand what he was saying. I speak Southernese, so it's, it's all good. Uh, I am Andrew Murata at Andrew Murata 21, uh, proud host of Education Leadership Beyond. Uh, this was show number 181. I will be mailing Owens a packet of Havsies cookies. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. Uh, check them out, havesiescookies.com, and that discount code is Murata15. Owens, thank you so much, my friend. Stay on the thank line you, for a moment. See ya. Stay on that line. We're going to sign off here on Education Leadership and Beyond. Let me get the music going. Bam.